Hello, and welcome to Out Loud. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and on today's show, our season finale, we're going to change it up. Our trusty editor, Meg McKellen, is here in the studio with me today, and will be interviewing me. Thanks for being on the show with us, Meg. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so folks should know right off the bat that Meg McKellen is not just the editor on our show, but she is also my sister. Meg has been working on the show with me since it started and was part of the process in conceiving out loud at its inception. Um, Meg is also a graduate of Longwood University in Virginia. Having studied English there, she has since worked in various roles, primarily now as a legal assistant. While at Longwood, Meg also met her now husband, my brother-in-law, AJ. Meg is also a new mom to her daughter, my niece, Lexi, who is really, really adorable. (laughs) And Meg is also an avid listener of podcasts. Uh, Meg identifies as straight with the gender pronouns she, her, hers, and is Roman Catholic. And she'll be hosting this interview with me today. So take it away, Meg. Okay, so again, thank you so much for having me. Um, As you said in my bio, I identify as straight, so I am not a member of the LGBT community. Uh, I have, however, always considered myself to be an ally. So with that said, please feel free to jump in or correct my phrasing or verbiage where needed. (laughs) (laughs) I know, more than happy to correct me. (laughs) So please, uh, you know, hop on in where needed or if you think we need some clarification on something. So, all right. So for a little bit of background on you, Greg. Uh, you went to William & Mary for your undergrad, and, and that's in Williamsburg, Virginia. You studied marketing and film. After that, you worked in communications at a Catholic church, and you've done digital marketing consultant for small businesses as well. Last year, you moved from Virginia to Nashville to get your master's in theological studies at Vanderbilt University. You are Roman Catholic. You identify as gay with the gender pronouns he, him, his. Sounds good. Sounds about right. All right. So just to kind of hop right in there, just like get it out of the way. Just first question, you know, the typical, the first question, (laughs) same one for some of our other interviews as well. So we just get it out of the way. So you identify as gay. Can you please tell me what that term means to you and how you came to briefly identify with that term? I know we're definitely going to unpack this a little bit more later, but what's your... What's your quick, we say like the elevator speech, you know, what's your quick? (laughs) (laughs) All right, back to business school. Um, Yeah, I think that, you know, it's fascinating because I feel like the term gay is uh, an evolving one. So this is going to be hard to make it an elevator speech. And this is a hard (laughs) question. Um, Being gay is a term that um, has really evolved for me over my lifetime. I remember growing up in grade school and people saying, oh, that's so gay. Or, and and so I think growing up, it was almost, it was an insult is the, is, is what the word gay meant as like a, that's silly or that's stupid. And so, um, it wasn't until, um, I made friends in college who came out to me, um, where I actually knew someone who was gay. And, um, and then I, slowly came to identify with that, with that term, if you will, but came to understand my, my sexual orientation over, over time as well. And so I think for me, like, but I think for me though, the word gay has never been that derogatory term. Like I've always seen it as like a, um, a joyful term and it is a joyful term. Like we hear it in Christmas songs Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so I've always been like, wait, why is that term derogatory sometimes? And, um, 
And so as I've come to identify with it and then like almost as I've come to understand my sexual orientation, I've been reclaiming that word gay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's been this like joyful reclaiming um, over time. So does that yeah, that's like really well that? said. Yeah, okay. no. and I, I think it'd be interesting. Um, you, you mentioned you know English background. I think of the Oxford English Dictionary, and it'd be interesting to see how that right. term evolved. Because when you look back in some of the older you know songs, or you watch you know White Christmas, every Christmas is my favorite Christmas movie. So I watch that, and they'll use the term you know gay meaning happy. Right. Um, and then so I, I'd be interested. Yeah, to see Yeah, they use it in the where... dialogue in that movie. Yes. Like, oh, you're so gay. Yeah. And it's just like, and it, oh. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and so it's I'd be interested to see kind of the evolution. And I'm not remotely prepared to talk about that in any more than just like I didn't prep. I'm now going to go quote home. Christmas songs, but yeah, and, and I did not bring my Oxford English Dictionary. But now I'd be interested to see like where it took that turn. But anyway, I don't want to digress too far because again, I totally, sure totally didn't. That, that's that. a whole different episode. Is like the etymology <laughs> of the word gay, right? And, how and we then got the here. rest of the LGBT acronym. Yeah. We yeah, can do that later. <laughs> but I, I do think it's interesting, though, growing up, that was definitely, it was it was very flippant. Um, it was either flippant or an insult or some combination of the two. And then yeah. now it's kind of coming back to where it is It is more of a descriptor. It is you're kind of the reclaiming of that word. Well, it can still be an insult. Oh, very true. Um, I think I think it can definitely still be an insult. It, it, and it still is an insult, in especially in, like, middle schools and high schools mm-hmm. in our country. But for me, it's been, like, growing up and coming to understand the other side of that of that word Mm -hmm, definitely yeah so so real quick too um we've addressed this in in the other interviews so far and i kind of want you to elaborate a little bit on why it's important um we address the pronouns kind of out of the gate so as as a person who identifies as straight it's it's pretty cut and dry pretty simple so it just sounds you know kind of superfluous sounds kind of extra right you being a cisgendered woman your gender pronouns are she her hers and that's yeah that's that pretty boring why do we need to go over this yeah yeah Yeah. so um can you kind of like elaborate a little bit on that like why why you felt it was important to address that in the interviews up to now and then you know why it's just important for for someone like me to be aware of that going into talking to somebody who's a member of the community sure that was the using gender pronouns Mm -hmm. was something that I didn't really I wasn't aware of until I was in the classroom at Vanderbilt Divinity School and that's one of the things that we use in our introductions on like syllabus day on the first day of class. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, everyone go around the room and tell us your name and like why you want to be in this class and tacked on to like, tell us your name. Um, every professor pretty much without fail would say, please provide your gender pronouns. And um, that can be confusing for folks because it's, like I said, it can be kind of common sense. Like, oh, I'm a man, I'm a woman. Like these are my gender pronouns. But um, it's a really important tip of the hat towards the T in LGBT for the transgender community and um, helping folks who are perhaps transitioning or have transitioned or um, or even identify as intersex or the parts of the acronym that aren't as clearly explicit, I am male, I am female, or if you don't identify with those gender norms of male and female, um, it allows those individuals to be heard. And so you have, um, there are multiple choices, but the most common are um, male identifying he, him, his, female identifying she, her, hers, and then you have they, them, theirs. Um, and that's that's more often used for someone who's in transition or does not identify as male or female. Um, and admittedly, this is something that I, you know, I came out two years ago, but it wasn't until I was part of a more robust, <laughs> more formal uh, 
formally organized LGBT community within Vanderbilt Divinity School where people were advocating, no, we need to use these these pronouns to make specifically transgender folk feel um, feel seen and addressed properly in the classroom. Um, so that's that's where that comes from, and that's why that's something important we do on the show. I say I feel like that's that's important. I think it's just as important. You know, we ask somebody growing up in the you know going to school, it always be you know what what name do you prefer to go by? That's exactly it. So I feel like it's a part of that as well. You know, yeah, like, it's like part how of, can I show respect to you? Right, and respect is something we've addressed on the show here. It's it's knowing someone's name, and in this case, knowing someone's pronoun is just knowing how to address them more informally. Mm-hmm. That's all. How do you want to be called? That That's what's at the heart of that question. Very good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, I feel like that it's something we've we've kind of maybe glossed over this season. Sure. I, don't think, I don't think we've point blank addressed it. So I kind of wanted to just kind of fill in that Yeah, blank. no, thank you. Because yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's why I'm, I'm glad you're conducting the interview um, as, as a straight ally to help explain some things. And that's part of the purpose of this show is to provide community for the LGBT community and, and as far as faith goes, but then also to provide insight for allies and to help all of us just understand each other better. Definitely. This is um, one element of that. Definitely. All right. So you um, talked a little bit about growing up. I know it's kind of funny with me being your sister. <laughs> so tell me your side of things. <laughs> but um, if you could tell me a little bit about your family dynamics and growing up and kind of how that impacted you thoughts sure um i think something i my elevator speech if you will for a lot of people (laughs) about growing up is that i was raised we were raised you and i were raised in a navy family and so the implication with that is that we moved a lot i feel like that's a big theme Mm -hmm. for me in my life is that i've constantly been kind of pulled out and put into new situations and had to like make new friends kind of on the fly which is not something I like to do uh, at all. <laughs> so um, making friends is hard, and uh, is. I think it's getting harder today. Yes. Uh, again, another episode. <laughs> but um, growing up in a Navy military family um, for us meant that we moved um, up and down the coast a lot. And so um, it wasn't until like middle school and high school that we lived in the same town for a while. And then... Um, and so I had a good like eight year stretch in one town. And then for college, I had a good like four year stretch mm-hmm. in the same place too. So it's really important um, for me to kind of have that consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's one like element of family that kind of seeps into my life still now is I like finding my people and staying with my people. That being said, family's super important to me because in the midst of all those moves, your immediate family is what is, is your constant. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all you have sometimes. And so, um, so yeah, that, that's big. And then I think faith is a natural part of answering this question to um, being raised in a Roman Catholic family um, with our mom coming from a predominantly Roman Catholic family and um, our dad being a, uh, growing up a Southern Baptist and but uh but going to church with us in the catholic church Mm -hmm. so um so catholicism is a is another major thread um we we went to um we went to catholic school or i went to catholic school um k through four k through five and then middle school and high school i went to public school but even in that even while i was going to public school we 
we're always good as a family about going to church on Sunday, um, being in whatever religious education program you needed to be or the church that you needed to be in at that time, praying before meals, sometimes mm-hmm. praying before bed, um, <laughs> gathering, you know, everyone gathering on the bed and, and kind of talking about their day. And, and so family, uh, family is a big part of my, my faith. And then especially, you know, even in those college and more adult years, more recently, more recently, family is interwoven with faith still because I encounter um, through my faith other people that I really closely identify with. And so even though I live in a city now that's far away from my family, I find my local chosen family, if you will, through my faith a lot of the times because that's kind of, that's the community that I was raised in. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about being raised Catholic and you still identify as Catholic, and we're definitely going to get to this later. But okay. um, <laughs> um, what do you think, like, what was the impact of, of, of kind of going to Catholic school and being raised in Catholic community, but also kind of specifically, you know, if maybe you need that narrowed down a little bit, you went from Virginia Beach Catholic school being the majority, um, moving to Lynchburg, where, you know, very Christian community, but the Catholic community was definitely not as robust as it was in Virginia Beach, I feel like. Um, so going from the majority to minority mm-hmm. and still maintaining faith through that, um, w- what did that look like for you? Like, what, what impact has, do you think that's had on you? That's a great question. You're hitting on another theme in my life. <laughs> well done. I... Um, when we moved as a family from Virginia Beach to Lynchburg, Virginia, that not only was a big move for me, this was, again, that same move we talked about a moment ago about me starting middle school, and I was switching from Catholic school to public school. And at the same time, our, yeah, we we as Catholics, our family as a Catholic family suddenly was a minority in this town. Mm-hmm. And that was really um, not something I fully understood being 10 years old at the time, but I started to find that I had to have some answers um, more readily available. Um, and this was, this more applies to you, Meg, but like you had people in high school asking you, are you saved? And as a Catholic, that's not terminology we use a lot. And so learning what is, what's underneath that question that someone's asking me about ultimately like salvation and are you going to heaven? Um, what is my answer to that as a Catholic was something that we had to sit down as a family and kind of like talk through and work through. And, um, but for me, it's interesting. I was just reminiscing about this with a friend the other day. My friend circle, my friendship circle in Lynchburg, Virginia of all places was surprisingly religiously diverse. I was friends with someone who was Jewish, Mormon, um, non-denominational, um, atheist, um, Methodist, and probably a few others that I'm not thinking of right now. But my, I was the only Catholic in my friend group. But there were everyone was the only something in this little <laughs> friend group of ours. And we were all, and for the most part, we all happened to be in band together. Marching band was a really big thing for me. So a lot of us were in band together. Or were, we were just in classes together, and we just got to know each other. So that was something unique about my friend group, being in Lynchburg, again, of all places, was that that was a place where I learned how to be around folks of other faith traditions and talk or not talk about religion. And 
I think really in that space, learn to love others and not really worry about are they saved or not. Like it's funny that that question came up so much there because Mm -hmm. I didn't ever have a doubt that someone who I loved, who I knew um, was doing good in this world was not going to go to heaven. That was just, I, I knew instinctively that that wasn't a judgment first off for me to make, but that that wasn't something that I had to question or even really talk with them about. I just knew them for who they were. Um, their identity wasn't defined by their faith necessarily. Um, so that was a big, that was a big lesson I started to learn in college or sorry, in high school. And then in college, ironically with a more diverse offering of people for everyone, you go into college and you find your people or you join this club that you never had back home or something. And in college, I ended up getting really involved in my campus ministry. And then suddenly my friend group switched to being very homogeneously Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so then it's been almost, I think it's been nine years since I started college. And now a year into graduate school that I'm around um, at Vanderbilt Divinity School. It's a multi-faith institution. That was one of the reasons I wanted to go there to study theology was because I didn't want to just be around other Catholics. Um, so this, as far as like how I was formed in those early years, um, in Lynchburg, ironically, that helped me start to build an interfaith dialogue of sorts and really more just like an interfaith spirituality. I, we didn't talk about our faith traditions, like I said, but there was a, a love for one another that was greater than where you went to church on Sunday. And that's, that's stuck with me ever since. Um, kind of moving from that into your coming out story, you came out while you were working at the, at the Catholic Church. Yes. Can you tell me what that was like for you? It was a lot of things. Um, All the things. <laughs> <laughs> it really, I mean, it, I, yeah, it's coming out is, has all these elements to it and you come out to different people and you get different reactions for better or worse. Um, I was, I had been working at this, at, at this Catholic church for just short of three years, I think at that point. And, um, well, first I'll tell you like when I came out to myself and then because that transitions really nicely into coming out at my church. Okay. It was all so intertwined. back it up. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I had, um, I had been in DC with a friend for the weekend visiting and she, and I, I had recently come out of a relationship and was single and trying to figure out, you know, like when you break up with someone, all these questions start to come up of like, what am I looking for? Mm -hmm. What do I want out of a relationship in this world? Sure. And up until this point, um, and this was January of 2016, just to give you like a timeline or Mm -hmm. rough idea of, of time here. I had, um, up until that point I had been, I'd been dating girls and, um, and so I'd just gotten out of a relationship, was asking all these questions about what am I looking for? And, I was chatting with my friend while visiting her in the DC area and 
um, we were talking about online dating and anytime you bring up online dating with a friend, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what, like, what are you doing? Like, what, what app are you on? What's your strategy? How do you stay safe? Like, Which what are... <laughs> so funny because who's been, like, I met, I met my husband in college and so kind of right. before the internet was really yeah. big, like, AIM was how we communicated to date. Oh, instant to, messenger. Yes. Yeah. Like, that was like the f- beginning. So when you say apps, I still, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what that's like. It's okay. <laughs> it's rough. And everyone has different <laughs> opinions on this again yeah. another episode but it <laughs> uh she was using tinder and tinder was still fresh at that point like mm-hmm. maybe it had been out for a year or at least it had been like hot for a year yeah definitely and i don't know the full tinder history but <laughs> not a professional in that but i was i had never done online dating because i was um everyone i had dated was from school or something and mm-hmm. so I was now adulting and trying to figure out, okay, how do, how does one? And so this friend of mine said surprisingly positive things about Tinder and was giving me all these tips about like how to kind of field people as you message them. Because mm-hmm. when you swipe, when you, when you swipe right on someone and then someone swipes right on you, which is an indication of like, I like you on both sides. And when you mutually like one another, you hop into text messaging with them. Mm-hmm. You still don't know their phone number or even their full name. You just know that what's on their profile. And so you only have that to go off of. And she was giving me some tips for just like how to chat with people. And really all I remember was like, really just chat with people, like genuinely be you, strike up a conversation mm-hmm. with them, try to keep it going for a little while. And so she made it sound not scary. And so I was, um, I was in town and I was like, I'm going to just open this app. And while I'm in DC and I wasn't living in DC at the time. So I was like, while I'm in this town that I'm never going to come back to, how about I just explore this app, swipe left or right on people and just see what happens. And then I'll go home and I'll, I'll do this the right way. But like, let me just play the game yeah. While I'm invincible and What's nothing's going to happen. That could happen. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> so I, um, so like the next morning I was, I was, um, laying in bed and, um, I, I'm an early riser. So I was up like hours before, um, my host had gotten up and that's normal and totally fine. And so I downloaded the app and I started looking for folks on Tinder and on Tinder, you, you know, you set your profile and I just said, I'm a man seeking women and, and started going through, um, going through the options, going through the deck of cards that Tinder provides for you. And I, as I was doing that, I just kept swiping left, which was dislike mm-hmm. on, uh, on all these girls. And then in the privacy of this bed at my friend's apartment with no one else up to look over my shoulder or to say anything to me in another town where I didn't live, I switched the filter and I said, I'm a man seeking men. And that was huge. Mm -hmm. I pressed that one button and then pictures of guys in town started popping up and I, I start like I they they popped up and I was like I'm just gonna swipe left and just see what people's profiles are like because I was studying I was being a total student about oh, this yes, I was studying people's course. profiles <laughs> and I was there to see what was working what was not so I could craft my profile mm-hmm, definitely make it perfect for when research. I got the talent exactly <laughs> sure market research sure and so I I was swiping left on folks and then I got to someone who I just I couldn't swipe left on he was really cute and I was like 
I can't do this to you. (laughs) (laughs) I like you. And so I swiped right. And then I swiped right on someone else and on someone else. And uh, I don't even know if I chatted with those people because it was like six or seven in the morning. So Mm -hmm. like no one was on their phone getting a notice that I had liked them. Yeah. Um, and I had just created my profile, so no one had liked me back yet. Uh, I hadn't been <laughs> online for more than like twenty minutes, so <clears throat> so that was how I started to come out to myself through modern technology, which is perfect given that I'm a communications person of sorts. So I, um, so then a week later, I was in. Um, I sound like this cool traveling person i was in new york city like a week after that this is not it's not the life i live but we had um we had some tickets to a show there and i um and i i went up to new york city with a friend of mine a colleague um at at the church i was working at and we um we went to go see my first broadway show and which was which was chicago oh so good it was good it's really good I mean, I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard there's some, you know, I've heard good reviews. You know, I mean, it was, it, oh, yeah. It, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was a little production. It was a revival, and there were some things that you could take or leave. Everyone had their opinions. But um, what was great about it, sidebar, was that Paige Davis from Trading Spaces played Roxy. And, like, halfway through the show, we realized it was Paige Davis, and what? we were, like, so excited. And then my friend tweeted at her. <laughs> and then Paige Davis, while, like, in the intermission, tweeted back and said, like, thanks Whoa. for, like, being here. And we were like, this That's is pretty cool. <laughs> sidebar closed. So then... Um, after the show, we were in a little dive bar in Greenpoint, kind of in the Brooklyn area. And again, safe space, far from home, mm-hmm. no judgment. And um, and this friend of mine had already indicated that like she had some relatives who were gay. And so I kind of knew that like this was someone I could talk to. And so I just wanted to like say to someone... Like I wanted to feel the possibilities of like being gay with someone mm-hmm. where I had some room to, um, figure to, it out, to figure it out. Yeah. And Process. not to feel like to be able to say, I like I, what I said to her was like, I think I like guys and to be able to say that and then be able to like take it back if I needed to. Yeah. Like I was still really hesitant I about think. this identity. Yeah. I think I like, yeah, exactly. I think I was corrected on that very quickly after coming out <laughs> to a few people. Um, <clears throat> and so we just had a really good conversation. And um, and so I came out to, to her. And then I think the second person I came out to was, or one, maybe the second or third person I came out to was my pastor. Um, and we, we got together for drinks after work one day. And I and I said the same thing. I think I'm I'm gay, and he was like, "No, Greg, you're you're gay." And <laughs> He's like, I love you, both. <laughs> like this is, it's okay. And um and so to go back to the question that you asked, like coming out while working at a Catholic church was um th- they were one and the same. I was um I was immediately bringing in the people closest to me in this in this job I was in. And kind of being like, okay, this is something I'm learning about myself. Can you help me walk through it? And um, and so we did. And then um, over time, started to come out to family, started to come out to other people in the parish, um, slowly but surely, all the while kind of fielding like, who's going to be okay with this? Mm-hmm. And really still trying to, I think, create like those safe spaces um, so that I could still figure it out as I went. Definitely, definitely. So you've kind of addressed 
So my other questions, um, can you tell me more about what it was like, like coming out to your family? So I know from what you've said, you kind of, it was some safe spaces out of town, but then now you're back in town and now you have this realization. And I know you lived in the same town as mom and dad at the time. So, you know. Yeah. So that was, um, coming out to my parents was really quick for me because they were living 10 minutes away from where I was living at the time in Virginia. And so we, um, we were at mass together. I was going to church with them and then we were having like brunch afterwards. And this was kind of a, this was a tradition of of Mm -hmm. ours that had started since they moved into town. And so I was at church with them and I, on one Sunday in particular, this was a few weeks after I'd come out, I started dating uh, I started, I actually started using Tinder and went on my first date, um, with someone who I really liked and who I'm actually still dating. Mm-hmm. And he, um, and we, we had a great time. And so that Sunday I went to church with my parents and then we, I remember just being in the pews and I don't know what song was playing or, or what, but I was filled with emotion and even some tears just being in the pew with them and realizing that I wasn't being true to them. And I'm a really bad liar. So <laughs> this is so I true. Hadn't, they so hadn't, true. They hadn't like <laughs> asked point blank anything about my dating life recently, but I already felt like I was hiding something from them because of how close our relationship mm-hmm. was. And, um, and I've grown a lot closer with mom and dad since graduating college and just being an adult in the world and stuff. So I really felt like I was hiding something from them. And so the next day I texted mom and said, can we get dinner? (laughs) And why? Exactly. Her response was like something to the effect of like, what's wrong? Why do you want to, it's Monday. Like we just had dinner yesterday. Why do you want to get dinner tonight? So we, um, so I went over to the house and she made some dinner and I'm just like sitting there awkwardly like, how am I going to do this? And and by do this, I mean come out to mom because I couldn't sit on this for more than 48 hours. It was – that <laughs> I must tell you right liar. now. I must tell you right now. Um, <clears throat> and so I – by then I I had talked to the few friends, so I was affirmative at that point. I was, I was affirmative. By that I mean like I didn't say I think I'm gay. I said I'm gay. And I said this to her and um, it was tough. Not bad. It wasn't bad. <laughs> but mom's response was – surprised because I don't know if she had suspected it or not, but it felt like this was something that I had been hiding from her. And so we had to just kind of talk through like, okay, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And, and some of those questions um, that people might find insulting, I, I didn't find insulting because this was my mother. And these were things that I had come to terms with kind of on my own and I had to bring her into the loop about. And I think, um, Luther said this on an episode of our, of this show that like, this is something that's been so many years in the making for me. He was, Luther was quoting his, um, his partner and said, who said that, you know, this has been 27 years in the making for me. I can't expect someone to be on board (laughs) in a matter of minutes. Um, it's a process. So we, we just sat at the table and talked for a while and, and 
we kept talking and getting together and and doing that. But it was not so. Also, what I'll, what I will say is that it wasn't. Um, it was not at all ambiguous to me that mom didn't love me any less at all. Oh, definitely. It was just this element of surprise that came mm-hmm. with coming out that happens when you come out to people. And um, and so we just had to work through it. Definitely. So, and, that, and that was kind of a similar process with the family, I think, in general. And we ended up having like a family powwow once I had talked to each family member like individually. We all kind of got together There's and There's only had four drinks. of us. You talked to mom. Mom talked to dad. You talked to dad. Then you talked to me. Correct. <laughs> you make it sound like Word gets around fast. <laughs> right. Greg has something to tell you. No, that so, was literally the conversation was because um, I call mom almost every day and we talk all the time and she was just like, you need to talk to your brother. And I was like, well, how was your day? She's like, you you just, you just, because she, she can't lie or keep, both, but you, you're the same person sometimes. It's so funny. And she's just like, you just need to talk to your brother. And I'm like, go. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so mom says we need to talk. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's I mean that's that's what we did was we 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 talked and that's mm-hmm. that's what we do as a family we talk we get together for yeah, meals and we sit we and do. we talk, and it wasn't the questions were never like this prodding like it was never the questions were never derogatory or sure. um, it was everyone was just trying to understand mm-hmm. something that was new to them mm-hmm. so like so that was that was the process with family but it's you know I think it's. I think it's profound in a way that it started with church. Like it, it really, it came to me sitting at church with my parents and knowing I have to tell them. I can't hide this from them. For better or worse. Definitely. And it was for better. It was definitely for better. Yeah, I think I, I agree. A part of, I know when when you chatted with me, it was, you said, you know, I need to talk to you. And then it was, you know, this statement and it was, you know, I am gay. And I remember, like, in my head, just kind of calling a quick timeout and evaluating, you know, really quickly, how do I respond to that? Because, you know, there's, there's, there's two ways. <laughs> you know, either yeah. I, can, <laughs> I can hop on the train or, you know, and, and just kind of accept this and ask some questions along the way. Or, you know, or I could, you know, or I could go, I guess, the other way. And I, I just remember, <laughs> like, being like, okay okay and I remember it being such a big shock because I grew up with you knowing you know that you're the Catholic Church meant a lot to you you're very religious very spiritual um you know so that was and 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 mainly just because you'd, you'd always dated women up to that point so I think that was that was kind of where, I know where the shock came for me um but what's funny is then every I remember um I had a, a friend was over it came over shortly after you and I had talked and uh, and I came out of I came into the living room and I was just like I just had this look of, I was still processing. And he's like, he's like, what's going on? I was like, my brother's gay. And he looks at me, he's like, yes, yes. We know. Yeah, we know. And that was, that was the response I got from some people was just and? like, yeah, we knew you were gay. You just hadn't figured it out yet. I was like, okay, thanks for, you know, not keeping me in the Yeah, right? Thanks time. for not telling me. Thanks for not telling me. Raw, honest moments like the one you just heard are why I love working on this show and why we want to keep on producing out loud for a second season. Our aim is to take these conversations of faith and sexuality to even more pockets of the LGBTQIA community here in Nashville especially. So if you want to be a part of that journey with us, here's something you can do. Just join our mailing list. Hop on to outloudstories.com and click the button to join. You'll get new episode notifications and sneak peeks at what to expect for season two as we get it ready. Again, that's all at outloudstories.com. And that's it 
for announcements in the middle of this episode. Let's get back to the show. All right. So uh, moving on to to the faith piece a little bit. So when I tell people about the podcast or about you, you know, up to now it's been about you and now it's all about the podcast. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so we'll pick on the podcast. So so the first question, like this morning I was at work and the first question was, so what's it about? And I'm like, well, so our podcast is about members of the LGBT community and, you know, how they identify and then how that impacts their faith. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you're straight. I'm like, yes. And then, and then I'm like, well, my brother's gay. And they're like, he's gay. And he's Catholic? And I say, yes. <laughs> also a normal question, yes. <laughs> and so, um, so I know you've gotten some semblance of that question. So, so how do you kind of respond to that? How did you unpack that a little bit? You know, how do you, being gay and being Catholic? Yeah, that is, um, it's an ongoing journey for me. Um, growing up in a Catholic family and just growing up Catholic in general, going to Catholic church for 26, going on 27 years now, it's, it's part of who I am. Um, another theme that's kind of come up as we've interviewed people here has been that, you know, my, my sexual identity doesn't define who I am. And I think if you ask some people about their faith, that's that's a response I get sometimes too, is I'm not just Catholic. Definitely. And some people will fight on the other side of that. And that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Um, but I think I think at the heart of that statement is like, I'm not only this one thing. Like I am a multifaceted person. I am made up of many passions and loves sure, and sure. hates and all kinds of different things. So... Um, so for me, being Catholic and being gay, those are two parts of my identity. They're not the only things that define me. But being Catholic is really, um, this is something also in, that we talked about in Maria's interview this season, is that um, I love something that she said, that Catholicism was something that she could, that wouldn't let go of her. Mm-hmm. And I, when she said that to me the first time, I completely understood where she was coming from. And to explain, I'll say that like Catholicism is something, um, if you've ever been to a Catholic mass, um, it's steeped in ritual. Um, now that I'm studying theology, especially I'm reading even creeds that I, in a Catholic liturgy recite with the congregation. And the words are so similar today as to what they were written in three to 500 AD. Mm-hmm. So you have a faith that's really steeped in history and tradition. And, um, and so there's something, and I even took a class on ritual this semester in, in liturgy. And it's been, um, it's been really good studying liturgy myself to kind of find that like, there's something comforting for the body at worship that, comes to a space and knows what to do, knows what to say, when to stand, when to kneel, all those things that kind of drive people crazy when mm-hmm. they come to a Catholic yeah. mass for the first time, if they mm-hmm. haven't been to a, a liturgy like that, where there's lots of standing and kneeling and, and, rest, and reciting. Um, all of those things are really surprisingly comfortable mm-hmm. when 
you do them a lot. And it's almost like if you, depending on what your prayer life is like, is it's nice when you find like a routine with prayer where you're like, this is how I'm going to sit down and kind of go through my day or, or talk to God about something that's on my heart. So like something I have been doing for a while is like the daily examine and I don't do it daily, but, um, but I like that there's a, um, if you look it up, um, it's a, it's a Ignatian Jesuit, um, practice of prayer where you, uh, very simply, I'll, I'll say it goes through being thankful for your day, kind of walking through your day and playing it back in your head, um, expressing regret for anything that might, that you feel like you may have done wrong that day. And then, um, and then praying for other people or for yourself, creating those intentions based on what your reflections are for the day. And you can do that in about 10 minutes pretty thoroughly. Although sometimes I do it way too quickly or sit there and <laughs> contemplate my day for an hour. I, um, if, <laughs> if time allows, but what I'm saying with that is that there is something really comforting about sitting down and knowing the process that works for you for encountering God. And that looks different for everybody. And that is something that I have done as a Catholic for a very long time, go to mass every Sunday. And we all, some of us roll our eyes at the Sunday obligation of going every Sunday, but there is something really, again, this like muscle memory ritual that is behind the practice of getting dressed, getting in your car at eight, nine o'clock in the morning, whenever, and going to this place, going to sit down in a pew and acknowledge that there is something greater than yourself. And it may just be the person next to you is greater than yourself at that moment. But however you want to define that for you in that moment. Um, so that's, that's kind of how Catholicism is within me and um, something that isn't necessarily letting go of me. That being said, Catholicism is also um, more or less adamant about homosexuality being a bad thing. Um, and we say, and I can say that because in the catechism, which is essentially the statement of beliefs for the Catholic Church, um, it says very clearly that um, homosexuality is intrinsically disordered. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a hard statement for people to get around. And Definitely. so that's that's the question. You're gay and Catholic? Uh, what? That's where that comes from. Because mm -hmm. that's that's probably what people know best is that the Catholic Church is like, no. No okay, so we we said gay marriage is okay in the US, but that doesn't mean that the Catholic Church is on board with with blessing gay couples in the sacrament of matrimony. Um and so then that's where when people ask me this question, it's you're this is where it depends on your theology. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is um, when you see this statement intrinsically disordered, do you take it for what it is and implicitly trust the church, which is what the church teaches, is to accept that there is divine authority behind these teachings. And there is something beautiful to that, that there is this, again, this tradition and these laws or rules whatever you want to call them, depending on the document, mm -hmm. that have been divinely inspired over the ages, have been 
thoroughly examined by philosophers and theologians for centuries, this has been given a lot of thought, whatever the document is. I'm not just referring to homosexuality there. And so, but on the other side, again, going back to what your theology is, there are those who implicitly accept all that they are told. Um, And then there are those who question. And maybe all of us question, but how we act is a little different. Mm -hmm. And so um, when, when I read that, and when I opened up the catechism really and truly after coming out to myself and, and to family, I, as an academic of sorts now, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't have identified as an academic when I came out. <laughs> I wasn't in graduate school. I was just working. Um, I immediately was like, well, what's in, what, what is that referring to? What's the footnote? What, which, which book in the Bible yeah, are we talking about? Yeah. Where, like, what is your support for this claim? Mm-hmm. Going back to like AP English claim support. How are you building your argument? Cite your you got to show me what you're talking about here. Explain yourself. Um, which I don't think is asking for much. Um, it's just because I trust that the, okay. So if I'm trusting that this tradition is, is steeped in this knowledge, show me what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then this is where people get divided is that if you go to really examine the catechism or the scripture that it cites or the Catholic encyclicals doctrine that it cites from there on, it kind of, it, you can interpret things kind of one way or the other, uh, as far as what the church means by homosexuality based on documents that I'll, I'll say rather broadly, don't have a word for homosexuality yet. It wasn't, St. Paul didn't have the word homosexual in his vocabulary mm-hmm. when he was writing his letters in the New Testament, his letters in what we now know as part of the New Testament. He was um, perhaps referring to two men being together, but there's some euphemisms kind of at play, even in the Bible, where it's like, well, what were they referring to and that takes like a historical lens to really understand so that's my long way of saying like (laughs) there are people fall on different sides of this and um for me in particular um it starts in the heart and what i feel is true there and then i start to build from there kind of what it is i believe because i believe i'm attracted to men Mm -hmm. and so then i have to kind of build some of my theology around that um, like it or not. And, um, and so, and so people fall in different, different lines with this. Um, why am I still Catholic? That's an ongoing journey is finding a community where I feel accepted. Um, Catholic doctrine is still for the most part, something that I, I have been raised in and, and agree with, but there are parts of Catholicism that are controversial for many people, myself included, and that we wrestle with. And I think that's true for a lot of us in any faith community or any club or organization is that, you may come to a point where you don't agree with everything that's going on here and you have to you have to decide is it worth staying or is it time to go somewhere else where my views are better are better served sure, or, or sure. respected because i know I, even as even as somebody who's who's straight and and catholic there there are pieces of the doctrine that that i don't personally agree with or or i say you know i i see i see your point there but you know this might you know this this is reality. <laughs> this is where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I, I know I look at, and especially is on the forefront of my mind as I look at my daughter, and and we obviously want to get her baptized, but I kind of look at, you know, wh- what is what is she going to hear? So part of the 
mm-hmm. the perk of of getting her involved with the Catholic Church is you get people outside the home that are reinforcing, you know, what you're doing inside. But I have to be aware that I want to make sure we put her in an environment where they're not telling her that her uncle Greg is going to hell, you know, and that's, yep. that's a very, you know, it's very sensitive. So it's something that I, I, I struggle with as well, you know, yep. like where, where do we fit in all that and whether, and how are we going to embrace that on our side, mm-hmm. you know, and say like, yes, this is what is said, but. I, and I think that's, that's, what I'm finding is the part of the adult journey is, is deciding for yourself what you believe and then what faith that you feel is the best fit for you. Definitely. Not something everyone wants to hear, but it's doing yourself a service to admit the questions that you have, to ask the questions, do the research and to find an environment where you are both comforted, but also challenged. Mm Mm-hmm. And what what we've heard this season too is it's accepted and affirmed. Mm-hmm. So ideally, you'd want a community that would accept you and then affirm you. And that's well, depends hard. on your working definition of those terms. But really, you just want a community that affirms you, mm-hmm. that recognizes. Because accept to me is we see you, we recognize you. You're allowed to join the club. Mm-hmm. Affirm means like we want you involved and we want to honor your gifts and we, and that's on top of, we accept you mm-hmm. like affirm is like an, a whole extra level. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge I think in any church environment is at what point does someone who's joined this church be affirmed for their gifts and talents, regardless mm-hmm. of sexual orientation? When do we lift up the people in our community and call them to serve? Mm-hmm stuff (laughs) so um kind of going back to your faith do you think you know who has had the biggest impact on your faith can you you know has there been one one big catalyst or or one big person or has it kind of been little people throughout the way has there been anybody that's you know kind of kept you firmly on this catholic journey that's a great question um i the first person that comes to mind honestly is um, is Father James Martin, which sounds <laughs> like a canned answer now that he <laughs> has, um, Father James Martin is the author of Building a Bridge, which is about um, furthering conversation between the LGBT community and the mm-hmm. Catholic Church. And he's done great work to start the conversation in that in that exact way. But I will say... Um, like we go back, <laughs> we go way back. Um, and he's an author that I've always been really, um, really inspired by, um, his, the first book book that I read of his was called my life with the saints. And if, um, if you haven't read father James Martin, I recommend, I always recommend that book first because he weaves his own vocation story for the most part with, the stories of the saints. And so each chapter is kind of this, um, kind of like we see in, in TV or film, like what we call cross cutting. Like you go between like two different plot points or, mm-hmm. or in like handmade sailor loss, like you go between <laughs> like, um, the present day and then the past. Yeah. And so for him, it's this cross cutting between his story and then the saints story. And so for these saints who are from, a you know, a time centuries 
gone past, he makes it relatable because he grounds it in a modern day story about his life and then connects it. So um, he's just been a really great driving force for me as a Catholic. Um, his other major book is The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. And that's where I get a lot of, like the exam, and like I was saying mm-hmm. before, is something he breaks down really well in that book. And, um, and then he also breaks down um, contemplative Ignatian spirituality. And, um, and what I mean by that is a, a major Jesuit practice is to imagine the scriptures, to sit and engage with them in prayer by reading them and then closing your eyes and imagining yourself as one of the characters in the story, whether that's being Jesus or the disciples or someone, an onlooker, whomever. But it's a powerful way of, of going back and relating to scripture and then forming your prayer out of it. What mm-hmm. would Jesus say to me in this circumstance if I were at the feeding of the 5,000 mm-hmm. and I was adamant that we don't have enough food here to feed all these people? Why am I so adamant about that? And what would he be challenging me to say? And what does that say about me today Mm -hmm. why do i doubt that we don't have enough on hand why am i coming at this from a view of scarcity instead of abundance like you can start to break things down and and it opens up who you are today through the scriptures and unlocks this and i love that um that comes from me studying film too Mm -hmm. it's like i like See, I'm a visual person, and so closing my eyes and, and being in that space is a whole different experience. Um, and so I'm, I've been really um, encouraged, I think for the first time, to put it simply, James Martin is someone who has engaged my prayer life actively as a Catholic and has engaged the ritual and the traditions through that um, that has helped me grow over time. Definitely. That's good. I, I know I've heard you talk about I, him over the years. I could continue and, to gush yeah, about him. Yeah, I know, him. I know. <laughs> and, and there are other theologians, but he specifically asked about Catholics as like James Martin for right. sure. And the fact that he wrote this book about conversation between the LGBT community and the Catholic Church, um, that was um, that was so affirming. I mean, to have like your favorite author <laughs> yeah, then like write something that you really want to be out there. Um, He's talking to you. Is, yeah. <laughs> It was great. And we, we met once and we've even emailed uh, a couple times, but, and, and so I, I really, I've, I've just always enjoyed his, his presence mm-hmm. in, in the written word and in person. He's, mm-hmm. he's a fantastic individual and is, and is a great example of being pastoral. And by that, I mean, caring towards others, understanding the people around him and, and just responding to their needs, which we all can do better. Definitely. And, and I feel like he was really kind of bridging that gap kind of as as I mean you know maybe all of it's a little too late but but I feel like that was kind of happening on the cusp of marriage equality and kind of when we were all asking these questions I mean because the the book didn't come out like this past year like it It did come out this past year did it oh I thought he did something else it feels like it's been out longer it came out in June of 2017 no way it's just barely been out a year I thought he did more more works like I thought this, he gave this has a been talk, a path for a while the book is based on a talk that he gave I believe okay. it was in 2016 okay. with New Ways Ministry and they they presented him with a bridge building award and then that spurred a talk that he entitled Building a Bridge which then which is then 
in this book and like the transcript of that talk is essentially the meat of that book and then he provides some discussion questions that go with it but that's to say he has been kind of a, like a um a lightning rod if you will mm-hmm. for like lgbt catholics because he has ministered to them and that's what yeah. he draws from in this talk is that he has he has worked with lgbt catholics um in spiritual direction in small groups probably in the confessional mm-hmm. but that's not something a catholic priest can talk about but he has um, been on the front lines, if you will, ministering to this community in particular. And so that's that's what he draws from to write that book. Sure. So so you kind of, one of my questions was, um, you know, summarize what the Catholic Church says on homosexuality, which we already hit. Sure. So in going with that, do you find that to be consistent on the local level? So like I said, I know we mm-hmm. touched on before, mm-hmm. you know, just because it is said doesn't mean that everybody there's some things that we all just kind of agree to eh, that's just all yeah you're, and you're hitting that. on that accepting you know, affirming difference yeah there. yeah yeah so so you know um what does that look like do you, do you find that to be consistent on a local level or i mean nothing's consistent right now yeah <laughs> this is all so new and the catholic church is not good at new things and and by that i mean like when i say this is new i mean having this conversation is new mm-hmm. and james martin is, has sparked it in in a big way and there's been a lot of pushback from folks um, about it that are upset about what he has said. And um, and that's another podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, on the local level, I think it is um, – I think his book is needs to – I think his book is a great starting point mm-hmm. for people. And it's actually something I recommended in a paper recently was that we – as individuals within Catholic parishes or just individual parishes in general should probably sit down and um, if they want to engage the, the LGBT community that probably exists within their community, they just may not be aware of it. If they want to engage those folks, this is a good, this, that book provides a really good starting point. It provides scripture to point to. Mm-hmm. It provides discussion questions related to that scripture um, some of the ones that I love in there are, um, we talked about identity earlier and the question of how do you want to be called? And another one that I love is he talks about spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it has to relate. I'm not sure if the scripture he cites, I think the scripture he cites is in first Corinthians where we get the hymn, one bread, one body mm-hmm. that we are, um, all comprising as individual members this one body of the church and that's rooted in our spiritual gifts a lot of the time and so one of the questions he asks is what are your spiritual gifts and what what gifts would you like to bring to the church or what gifts have you brought to the church and that's a great question to ask anyone and what what he's provided a model for i think is is to sit down as a parish with LGBT Catholics in your parish and to find he's provided common ground. Those are questions that you can ask both sides and anyone in a parish might be flattered to be asked, what are your gifts? What can you bring to us? Mm -hmm. And, and on the same level, some people might be upset that it's taken this long for someone to ask, what are your gifts and what do you want to bring to this community? And so there can be joys and there can be frustrations on both sides of whether you're LGBT identifying or straight, um, there can be that common language mm-hmm. as Catholics that we can build off of. Um, 
And so I think that's a starting point on the local level. That's not something I'm seeing a lot of right now. We have a lot of work to do. Definitely. This is this this book, while we're talking about James Martin, that book is a great starting point for people. It's not gonna work for everyone. Some people just don't like James Martin. Um, like I said before, they think he, he's too simplistic and his writing sometimes is a, is a criticism I've heard. Um, so you might get some people who just don't want to participate because they don't like James Martin. So we might need to find something that works for them too. True. Um, there's not going to be one cure all and it's going to depend on your parish. Every parish has a different, I like to say every parish has a different charism. Mm -hmm. The parish I worked at, I, I also like to say it was a loud parish. People like to talk in that parish. Mm -hmm. Um, we had a big commons that everyone gathered in after mass and, it was so loud in there because people were just loud. So that's a parish where I, where I think people just need to talk like a small group for, for allies and for LGBT folk to come together and talk or people who want to be allies who don't mm -hmm. know how to be an ally yeah, can come together. Like? What does that look like? Um, that's that, that would be a good parish. I think to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, it may look different for another parish. They look totally different. Maybe a retreat, it may be a class. <laughs> Some mm -hmm. people need to be educated and yeah. then they're ready. <laughs> we all learn differently too. Very so true. I think it's, I think it depends on the parish, but that, that text is a great, is a great starting point. Conversation in general and I, and identifying each other, seeing each other, respecting each other. It has to start there. Definitely. I th and I think it has to go back to a little bit what you said earlier of, I think, and we heard this a little bit in, and I know Kelsey's interview, one of the things I loved about it, what she said was, you know, bringing that education piece and, and talking about it early and bringing it up. Yeah. And I feel like that's a real area of opportunity for you know, the Catholic church, but then for, for a lot of religions, you can say that about a lot of things, mm -hmm. um, you know, really bringing in those resources and getting that conversation early on a level people can understand it. And, and if we start early, I think then it won't become such a big deal when it, when everyone gets a little older, I, I don't know. I think it's important to start having those conversations early. I think that'd be a real, um, something I would like to see. Me too. Change. And I think it would help going back to the word gay. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about that at the beginning of this interview. I think it would help if churches addressed sexual orientation mm -hmm. in their religious set a little bit, um, or a lot of it, because it would help destigmatize it and, help in the schools where bullying is prevalent, where as a country we're seeing shootings now on a regular basis and have been for a while. But at the heart of that, there's, you know, you're bringing, uh, at, you're, there's mental health issues a lot of times going on and there's misunderstandings and anything we can do to help in that sense too. I mean, people that when you don't feel accepted, this is a, a stat, our mother gave to mm -hmm. us um, just <laughs> yesterday over lunch. We were talking, and um, and she was saying to me that in communities where um, LGBT individuals don't feel like they belong, um, where they're not affirmed, the risk of suicide or any self harm. Um, I don't know the percentage, but it, it increases dramatically mm -hmm. when you're not accepted. And mm -hmm. so anything we can do as a parish, I mean, if we're going to say, especially in the Catholic church being very pro-life, that has a lot of connotations to it. And it gets, abortion kind of gets thrown into as, as like the poster child for the pro-life movement. But if we are a pro-life church, and by that, I mean, like 
we want to preserve life around us and on every keep, single on level. every level then it would be good to honor each other's identities mm-hmm. and to help educate on this piece of sexual orientation so that we can send our children back into school and be more understanding of other people and that's i mean and that's all i'm asking for is that we just listen and understand each other if you don't agree with me on how i express my sexual orientation after we've sat down and talked okay that doesn't mean i'm not going to be friends with you that doesn't mean i'm not going to say peace to you in the pew at church you go to a lot of catholic churches not every catholic but there's going to be a mix of of political leanings in the pew and we have to set that aside and and be a body of Christ together regardless of of those things we have to listen and understand and it would be good to to pass that on to in the next generation to start early and to start and this is one this is one way i don't want to get on a soapbox yeah, with this but this is one way to promote better understanding so kind of moving on you know we've talked about the change that we would like to see in the catholic church a little bit kind of moving on what do you plan on doing with your masters do you see yourself using that to impact change in the catholic church or or have you thought about that like i i have thought about that (laughs) (laughs) yes i've thought deeply about what i'm going to do we all we all get this question um (laughs) yes i think um i don't know what it's going to look like quite yet i'm Mm -hmm. halfway through my masters yeah um, but I have really, ever since I started studying, wanted to bring back some form of understanding to the church, um, that, that I get from this program. So mm-hmm. something that I walked in really uh, desiring was how to see how other faith traditions viewed, um, or discussed sexuality, like we were just saying on that education piece. So I really want to, um, take what I can from other traditions and bring that back to the Catholic church in whatever way I can. Um, this podcast being one of those ways where I feel like this is a space where we can talk on the spectrum of where you identify sexually, but also where you identify with your faith and we can create a dialogue. Um, I think I'm, I'm hoping to pursue those kinds of interfaith dialogues that would apply to the Catholic church. Um, because we, we also need, not only do we need more conversation about sexuality, but we also just need more conversation about other faiths and mm-hmm. recognizing each other. Because at the end of the day, a lot of us are, <laughs> we believe some fairly similar things. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're dealing with, all of us are dealing with the same kinds of questions about, about our, our humanity and our purpose in life that we can work on together mm-hmm. and share new perspectives on together. So I think I really want to call the Catholic church to also be more open to having those kinds of interfaith dialogues, because when I've talked to friends from high school or friends now in graduate school, they're open to, they, they have questions about the Catholic church and they want to know more about it. And they, sometimes it's, I love the ritual that you have and I want to know more about that or I want to know, I want to see how that relates to how we worship in my faith tradition. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there is this curiosity and my experience has been we have to be there to 
open the door and, and welcome people in. And, um, and that requires kind of putting ourselves in those spaces of, of other faiths. And so that's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about what that looks like exactly. I'm, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, but I do want to see what I can do from a lay Catholic perspective and, um, in order to help others, because I also think as, as Catholics, we kind of, sometimes we, we limit what we read. I've noticed we limit what we read to other Catholics or specifically to ordained Catholics Mm -hmm. and lay Catholics. And by lay Catholics, I just mean every day (laughs) run of the mill Catholics. Um, we can learn a lot from each other and there are lay Catholics that have received outstanding education that have a lot of answers to theological questions that are worth hearing Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that have helped shape our, our theology and our doctrine as the Catholic church over the years. So, um, honoring those voices is another, um, is another passion of mine that we could definitely, um, come, come to the table and show up for. I love that. I think that's so important because, you know, we're all, we're all facing, like you said, we're all facing the same questions. We're all trying to reinvent the same wheel. Mm-hmm. So why are you sitting in your corner reinventing the wheel over here? You're over here. You're <laughs> over here. You know, I feel like we're all, we're yeah. all trying to reinvent the wheel separately. When if we all just came to the same table and said, you know, Hey, so this is, you know, n- nothing's full, but we've used this for our youth and, and we've seen positive, we've gotten positive feedback. It's worked for us. You know, okay, great. So how can we take that, tweak it a little bit? And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and move on just so it matches. Because at the end of the day, we all believe in the same core, you know, the same core, like God. And then if you're Christian, you know, Jesus. So, you know, we're all mm-hmm. heading in the same direction. It's just a matter of how you get there. So I'd love to see everybody kind of pooling the resources and then taking it back out. Because I think too, too often we get in our own sound clouds and we just reverberate off each other and yeah. we're not getting it. And it gets back to what we were saying earlier of not fully surrounding yourself in this homogenous environment. Definitely. And so anything we can do to, um, to move beyond that. And then to also, I think, recognize other marginalized communities and, and welcome them into, I think is something, um, I don't want to just fight for the LGBT community exclusively. There are the same issues of exclusion with Catholics who have been divorced or Catholics who, um, especially like young adult Catholics who have never been to a parish before or are trying to figure out how to be uh, a, an active adult engaged in the parish but don't have, without a family yet. There are lots of ways that we don't, and I, when I say we, I mean like all of us, regardless of faith tradition, there are lots of ways that we, we can exclude people mm-hmm. and opening up that that conversation is key. That doesn't mean... You can't really have, and this is something that came up in Lee's interview, is that you can't really have a community with values and, and beliefs without excluding some people, right? I mean, like you mm-hmm. do at some point, if you're going to put a line in the sand and say, we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, well, then anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus isn't going to show up on Sunday. So you are going to still inherently exclude some people, and you need to have some values to stand by for this organization to have some some momentum or else mm-hmm. it's just like why are we why here? are we here yeah yeah so that keeping that in mind i don't want it to be this like nebulous like let's make sure we include everybody but if we each look inside our communities locally and 
admit where we are weak and mm-hmm. who we are potentially excluding. And it could be as simple as the homeless community that might be out on our streets near our church. How can we include them better? Mm-hmm. That was that was an issue we tackled at the church I was working at, and I'm glad we did that because that was a local challenge mm-hmm. that we all had to, you know, if, if one of our brothers and sisters is out in the street looking for shelter, asking for food, asking for money, how am I helping them out? And that's something when you're on the street corner and driving, you see that your heart tugs for a reason because that's mm-hmm. someone you know. I mean, that's someone that you see and that you know lives among you that is struggling. And mm-hmm. so where can we be, how can we be more attuned to those challenges in our community and, and where are we specifically being called to respond? That's what we all can do a little better each day and with each encounter with one another. I love that so much and it it wraps up very well into my conclusions. So <laughs> so we've we've talked a lot about what we can do and so as as an ally, what that we haven't touched on already or maybe you know whatever, but how can we as allies better help you and your community? You know, what would you mm-hmm. like to see from us? What does that look like? What does being an ally look like to you, I guess? Oh boy. Um, it comes back to that like open door mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I'm really passionate about spiritual gifts. I really am. And so I think just honoring people's gifts is a great way to welcome them into your community and to say, you're a great singer or you're great at graphic design or something. Or and, reading. You know. Yeah. And bring them in. And it's going to be different for every community. And, and, and this is regardless of, you know, whether this is, like I said before, like whether this is a church or like a kayaking club, like whatever it is, like just honoring people's gifts. And even if you disagree with them or are not necessarily like a hundred percent on board with, with, with the LGBT movement, if you will, um, if you can honor someone's gifts, that's a step toward loving them and loving who, who God made them to be. So opening the door for that conversation, mm-hmm. that's a start. Cause if I know that that's important to you being a new member to your organization. Um, that, that, you know, we talked about identity and, you know, not wanting to be just Catholic or just gay or just whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like our gifts and our passions and our talents and our desires, like those are wrapped up in almost all of what we do mm-hmm. and where we end up someday if we honor that, I think we, we truly honor one another. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Out Loud, especially as we bring our first season to a close. I'm sitting in the studio where we got started, and I am shocked that these are some of the last words I'll be recording in here for a while. I am so grateful to all of you who have reached out with your support and your feedback about this little project that we wanted to get started. We hope that this show continues to help make conversations about faith and sexuality in your own life happen. 
And while we take a break, as always, consider sharing this show with someone new as a way to start the conversation. While we get season two going, stay in touch with us, join our mailing list, and if you're able, make a contribution. You can hit the donate button on our website, and you can just learn more about what we're doing, as always, at outloudstories.com. A big thanks to Meg McKellen for being our host on this episode, for being my sister in life, and for her help in editing throughout this first season. And a special thanks to all of our guests this season, Zach Eccleston, Maria Machonsky, Kelsey Davis, Luther Young, and Lee Cato. You each helped make this show happen by trusting in its vision. Thank you for sharing yourself with with all of us. That's all for this season of Out Loud. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, signing off until next time. Peace.